On this edition of Fresh Bread, as we wrap up our beginning with the end in mind, which view of eschatology is the correct one? Welcome to Fresh Bread, a podcast of Grace Bible Church Gainesville with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Key. Welcome to Fresh Bread, where we're bringing God's Word to a starving world. Welcome, podcast number 13. He's Pastor Brandon, I'm Pastor Key. Well, Pastor Brandon, we've been, uh, we've been in eschatology for a while now, and we're going to try to wrap this up by kind of looking at each one and then uh, defining which one is the, is the one that we use, which one is the one that we preach at Grace Bible Church. So let's start with post-millennialism. Millennialism. You would think you would have that by now. <laughs> post-millennialism. Post-millennialism. Let's go to post-mill. Post-mill. There you go. Just shorten it. Nobody knows. <laughs> Do you want to give us a quick summary of what post-mill is again? Yeah, I mean, post-mill, I mean, the idea is that Christ is coming post-millennial kingdom, but it's not exactly, doesn't exactly match the premillennial view in the sense of, you know, premillennialists would say there's going to be an actual reign of Christ on earth for a thousand years, whereas postmillennial eschatology would say that there will be a, that the church will be used by God who is reigning from heaven, so Christ, that is, is reigning from heaven, and, and he's using the church to make this world better, or you might say Christianize the world. This idea of the world is is improving because of the gospel going out through the throughout the world, and that at some point they some uh, postmillennialists would say that there's going to be a golden age that could be a thousand years where where that the, the gospel has gone out and has reached the nations and it's this golden age of Christianity, if you will. But at some point after that, that there will be a, a short rebellion and Christ will return. So, but I think the I think what makes postmillennialism different is this idea that the world is getting better through Christianity or through the church, through the preaching of the gospel. So the post means he's coming after the thousand years. Yeah, but again, again, they wouldn't necessarily see the thousand years yeah. as, as a specific period of time. Um, I think they seem to be split on that. Okay. Well, let's jump into what issues we have with post-mill. Okay. The first one is, you, you've just kind of touched on it, is the improving world. <laughs> the idea that the world is getting better uh, all throughout history, I, I just don't see it. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's interesting because they would say, you know, we have a limited view. You know, obviously we're looking at, you know, the world in terms of, a, you know, in a microcosm and you know, we're seeing the world, you know, most of us are seeing the world since 1950, you know, 1960. And, you know, that since that time, there has been a degradation of American culture, especially uh, Western culture, you know, that if you consider, you know, the height of the United States in terms of its, in terms of its, of its power being post-war, post-World War II, that, you know, that there was a high point of morality at that point. I mean, you could even go back and even look at, at you know, England and, you know, the Victorian age and say, you know, that's the high point of Western culture. And that since then, it's been a, there's been a de- degradation of Western culture. So if we're looking at it just in that microcosm, you know, we're only looking at a, at a small portion of time and projecting that out over a longer period of time and saying, okay, well, since it's been you know getting worse for the past say 150 years if you go back again if you go back to 
the Victorian age, if you're saying it's big, we're saying it's getting worse, Western culture, but what they're saying is, is that's just a blip in the radar that we need to look at this thing over 10,000 years or, or 15,000 years or 20,000 years and say, you know, because, you know, Christ's coming could be a long way off. And, and so therefore this is sort of a, a, a regression. Yes, there's a, there's definitely, you know, the church is definitely being challenged in this time period, but there are at some point that, that the gospel is going to overcome and, and it's going it, to, things are going to get better, that, that things really are on a, on a steady increase, even if there is a regression. To me, it almost seems like they're taking some scripture passages and putting them under the rug. Like I'm thinking of Matthew 24 and even 2 Timothy 3. It does talk a lot about how the end of the age is going to be, and it's almost as if they're kind of ignoring those. Sure. I mean, Paul, Paul says that it, you know, things are going to proceed from bad to worse. And you know that there's this idea that there is going to be a degradation of society, um, and and in the the Bible seems to speak of that. You know, I, I would assume that most that they would apply that to to the time before eighty seventy. You know, in terms of that there was this transition period after the cross. You know, up to eighty seventy, where the church began to really be fully operational, if you will. But that since then, since then, it, it, things have gotten better instead of worse. And so I, I don't think biblically, I don't think that stands scrutiny the, that it, you know, when you look at what's happening, I, I think that that is, you know, what we see, you know, generally speaking. And, you know, even even in our own society, even in Western culture, I mean, it's just a, we're just a, you know, part of what's happening throughout the, the church age, you know, that, you know, there has been, I mean, there was a rise, you know, during the Victorian period of morality. I could see at that point that somebody might think that, you know, we are getting better. But ultimately, ultimately, even then, I mean, it was rotten at the core. And, you know, even in the best of times for humanity, you know, we're rotten at the core. I mean, what Ro- what Paul says in Romans 3 about mankind and their sin, I mean, that, that doesn't change. And, you know, I think, I think what I struggle with is that I think it's a fleshly approach. I mean, you know, and I know that may be strong word, and I, I've used it before on this podcast, I, but I think it is a fleshly approach because I think it appeals to the flesh. I think it appeals to I'm actually able to make a difference in this world. I, you know, I, I've said it before. I mean, I think it's the difference between renovation and rescue. I mean, I think that the idea of the post-millennialist is that, that we're here to renovate and, you know, that, that we're here to make this world better. So we get involved in politics, we get involved in, you know, the music industry, we get involved in uh, the arts, we get involved in, you know, different aspects of the business, we get involved in different aspects of the world, because I'm actually making this world better. You know, Paul says, I mean, Paul says in Romans 8, that we're more than conquerors. But I think that it, I don't think that that is applied to, you know, this idea that I'm, you know, going to get involved in, in different businesses, or I'm going to get involved in different go- in government politics. I'm, I don't think it's applied. I don't think Paul had that in mind when he said that. Yeah, I agree. It's when Paul talks about it, he's always talking about we're passing through. This is not our home. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're just sojourners here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that's the biblical understanding and, you know, there's some dangers with that. We can talk about it when we get to the pre mill. I mean, I, I think we're going to talk about pre mill. Yeah. So, well, and, and kind of continuing on what you're talking about, the post mill, there's, there's such a, this is another danger. There, it can be such a focus on the church instead of Christ that they're trying to better the world. And we believe that only Christ can end the wickedness and usher in his kingdom. But they're believed that the church is going to get so strong that it's going to usher in the kingdom. And that, I think that's a danger. 
Absolutely. And I, and again, I go back to the whole renovation versus rescue. You know, what is the role of what is the role of the church? Well, the role of the church is to go make disciples of the nations. Well, you know, they would say, well, it, we're making we're Christianizing the nations. That's what it means to make disciples of the nation. That we're making disciples of the nations. But I would take that to be more that we're making disciples from the nations. That there of every nation there will be representatives and you know as when Christ is when Christ in his rule is fully restored in the in you know in the new heavens and new earth there will be those from every tribe tongue and nation we see that in a, in a revelation 5 you know when Christ is is approaches the throne and there's there's those from every tribe tongue and nation so so yeah i i do think that it's a rescue operation, not a renovation, meaning that we are here to preach the gospel so that there would be disciples from every nation, so that there would be people saved from their sin, uh, that would hear the gospel and be a part of God's kingdom. But I don't see that as being a, a situation where we're trying to make the world better. I, I don't I don't think that 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 is Christ's job, not my job, mm. not that and not the church's job. Right. I mean, in the sense of I mean, yeah, I need to make the world around me better in the sense of in the sense of I need to be light and salt and light to this generation. Right. This this crooked gen- and perverse generation. I need to be salt and light in my life. But it's not my job to renovate this world. Right. That makes sense. So, uh, yeah. And, and, and we're talking about post mill. And another uh, issue that I have with post mill is it, it kind of takes Israel out of the equation. Israel no longer has a place in, in with God in the future. Yes, I mean, and, and it's clear. I believe it's clear from Scripture that God made promises to Israel, and that I don't want to make God into a liar, you know, and say that you know, they get all the curses that were promised. I mean, Moses said, "If you if you obey me, then I then I'll bless you. If you disobey, I'll curse." But you know, it, it's like if they never received the blessings that were promised to them. And I think my God, I think God is a big God, and I think that. He has a purpose. He can have a purpose for Israel the same as he has a purpose for the church. But I don't, you know, obviously I don't see Israel as being just because of their national stature or because they're descended from Abraham. I don't see them as being, you know, in Christ because of that. I mean, they are still saved by grace through faith. And so they're going to have to come as individuals. They're going to have to come to, to a knowledge of him. But I do see them as having a distinct role, and I think that God is able to bring about his purpose for Israel the same as he's able to bring about his purpose for the church. I don't see it as being mutually either or. I mean, I, don't, I think he has a plan that encompasses both, and so it's not like the church replaces Israel or church becomes the focal point. Yes, his church is the fo- focal point in this church age, but it's not as if God has forgotten Israel. Okay. So that's post mill. Yeah, anything th- else you want to say on post I think I think another issue that we really need to deal with when it comes to when it comes to postmillennialism is this idea of theonomy, the idea that the Mosaic Law Code is still operative today and must be applied to all men in all nations. I mean, mm-hmm. because when we say that that you know they believe the church exists to Christianize the world, well, what does that mean? And and I think many of the post mill guys, the guys that are holding post mill theology, I think that they take that to mean that the law needs to be applied uh, today. And so there's this you know confusion about the role of the law and you know what the who the law applies to. And I can tell you that when you look uh, when you look around Christianity, what what we would what people would call Christianity in terms of error, I think our misunderstanding the Old Testament and Old Testament law leads to error. And I think that they get it wrong. It's not I, I think the question is how does the law apply to me today? And I would argue that 
the law, the Mosaic law, doesn't apply. That uh, the Mosaic law, in all its parts, applied to Israel. The Mosaic covenant was given to Israel, and it was not given to the church. Now you say, well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What does what does that mean for the church? Does that mean that we it's all grace? No, I mean in this well, it is all grace, but it you know it doesn't mean that there is no law for the church, if you will. Christ actually restated most of the law, and and I would call that the law of Christ. Paul refers to it as the law of Christ, and so what we have to recognize is that the law is based in God's character, that and that is based in creation, and we can see it in creation. We've talked about that, you know, on, a, on other podcasts, and you can go back and listen. But the actual law is based on creation and based in the character of God. But I can't take Israel, the law, the Mosaic covenant, and now apply it to the nations. I can't do that. Now, why can't I do that? Because it because it doesn't apply. It wasn't given to the United States. It wasn't given to England. It wasn't given to Russia. What? What? Then what is the what is the role of the law? Well, the role of the law was to point to sin. Now, I could I would argue that that still is useful that way. Obviously, when it says "Thou shalt not kill" or "Thou shalt not bear false witness," obviously that tells me what God's expectations are, and so therefore the law is good in that sense. But what we have to recognize is that it's based in God's character, and and it, it is not applicable directly today. That would be the Mosaic Covenant, and so postmillennialists then would say that that we need to apply the law. And this, I mean, this is a big subject. I mean, it's a it's a subject that we could go really go deep into the the subject of theonomy, and maybe we need to have another podcast about it. But I think that they, it, the problem is, is that they are incorrect because we're not, church is not under the Mosaic law. And, and it's not, our, our job is not to bring the society under the precepts and, and the penalties of the Mosaic law. It, it wasn't given in that form. It wasn't given to Gentiles. And it's, it's, it's an indivisible unit in the sense of that you can't break it up and say, well, there's these different parts and this is what applies because you, it doesn't work that way. It's not, it doesn't, the, the law doesn't work that way. And so, you know, we can't selectively keep the law. So what we have to recognize is that, again, that law, the Mosaic covenant, the law, was based in God's character and has been that we as the church are under the law of Christ. And, you know, we have no business subjecting, trying to subject the nations to the Mosaic law. That's a good point. And again, we're, what we're trying to say is not every post mill may fall into that, but this That's is right. something that post mill will lead into sometimes. That's right. That's yeah. right. I mean, uh, the, the enemy is, is, uh, is not, I, I wouldn't say, I don't think that the enemy is uh, something that Every post mill would would push every guy that that every person who believes in a post mill understanding. I'm not saying that's what they would push, but there are definitely parallels, and there are definitely guys that would definitely fall in that camp of theonomy. So again, that's a, that's probably another podcast in the future. There's so much there, yeah. So that's good. Okay, so that's our, our view of, of post-mill. This is the issues that we have with it. This is why we don't preach it at Grace Bible Church. And let's move on to all-mill. Okay. So, Pastor Brandon, can you give us a quick summary of all-mill eschatology? Well, I think the idea of, of amillennialism, I mean, uh, meaning no millennium, I think that might be a little bit of a misnomer in that pe- people believe that we are in the millennial kingdom now, that Christ is reigning from from heaven and that you know he's on the throne of David today that it's not a but that's not a physical throne in Jerusalem that's not a physical reign 
on earth. We as pre, uh, premillennialists are looking for, you know, the, for Christ to return and actually reign on earth. But they would say, no, that's already happening, that he's already on the throne. And and so they, they have the idea that he's ruling spiritually, that he's ruling in the hearts of believers on, on earth. And so, you know, generally speaking, they believe that he's coming, he's returning. When he returns, that's it. There's no other, you know, that's the end. I mean, that's when we are ushered into the new heavens and new earth. They would say that he, when he comes, there's no rapture in the city. Well, there is a rapture, but it's not, it's not for the purpose of just taking the believers up and, and you know, have the, having a period of tribulation and having this turning of a thousand-year reign. They would see him coming, and we will meet him in the air, but then he's coming to, to set up, you know, his, the, the new heavens and new earth and usher that in. Okay, so it's it's not a literal reign. No, it's not more a, of a spiritual. A, it's a spiritual reign in this age. That yes. Now, different than postmillennialism, because I don't think they would see they wouldn't see the material side of it. Meaning, you know, postmillennialism would would argue that the church Christ is reigning. I, I think they would see it the same way in that sense. But I think in their in their their idea is that the church is here to renovate the world. Whereas I think amillennialism would more agree with premillennialism in that he's reigning spiritually, he's in our hearts, and we're here to to preach the gospel so that others can come to know him, so that when he sets up the new heavens and new earth, there's, it's populated with, with believers. Um, that would be, again, you know, the, I don't think they would have the idea the world is getting better. They, I think more, they would agree more with us that it's proceeding bad from bad to worse. You know, our job is to be salt and light and sharing the gospel and seeing souls come to Christ during this age. Preterism, you hear that a lot with eschatology. Sure. Where does that does that fit in better with all mill or post mill? Well, I think well, definitely post post millennialism because I think they see, um, you know, I think for them they see a fulfillment of Matthew twenty four in eighty seventy when when Rome destroyed Jerusalem, and you know some would even say that there was a that Christ came at that that there was a return of Christ at that point, and so. Preterism literally means that the it's the idea that that it was fulfilled before, right? I mean, it was it's, so it's so when when the biblical writers wrote the New Testament, they it was these things were future to them, so it was prophecy when they wrote, but that those prophecies were fulfilled at eighty seventy, and so when I read Matthew twenty four, that's all history, that's all things that have already occurred, and most would say all the way up to Revelation, you know, through twenty would. They be things that have already been fulfilled. Um, so yeah, that preterist position is is that they, these prophecies they were prophecy. They're not you know they're not being her- heretics and saying that these things were you know they were written after the fact. But they're so they're seeing it as prophecy. They're just seeing it as as already fulfilled prophecy. So they were they were prophecy to them, but it's passed to us. That's right. It's already done. That's correct. Whereas the pre-mill would see it still future. Yes, by and large, we would still see the events of Matthew twenty-four and the the events of Revelation 4 through 20, well, actually 22, we would see that at all as future. Um, we would see this, these things as future, things that are, are yet to occur. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, but the preterist view would be that those things have already occurred. That's actually the death knell, if you will, for postmillennialism, because if, as an example, if Revelation was were to, was written prior to eight, or prior to AD seventy, then then postmillennialism works. But if Revelation was written about event written after AD seventy, then postmillennialism doesn't work because Paul, John would have been writing about events 
that were future to him in 8095. Well, 8070 was in his rearview mirror. And so, you know, when he wrote on the island of Patmos, it, it does really, really matter. 8095 really does matter. I would argue that if he wrote early, it doesn't change. It doesn't necessarily, it isn't a death knell to premillennialism that if he would have written prior to 8070. I mean, yeah, it would probably weaken the position, if you will, but it certainly wouldn't be a death knell to it. But I can say for sure, if Revelation was written after AD 70, would be a death knell. I mean, unless you're going to say that that he wrote it as prophecy about the history, which that would be heretical. So, you know, and I, and I would argue that it's very difficult to see how John would have written in AD 70, but I think that would be too early to see Revelation for a variety of reasons. Okay, so let's dive into Amil, the, the main issues we have with, with Amil eschatology. And for me, the first thing that jumps out is, is they, while they do take a literal approach to most scripture, they do spiritualize a lot of it as well, like post-mill does. Yeah, I think they, they have a dual system of hermeneutics. I mean, there's no there's no two ways around it. You know, it depends on, you know, being pessimist, if you will. I mean, I think using whatever hermeneutics fit their system based on what the passage is. And, you know, that's unfortunate. I mean, we, we should have a one hermeneutic that interprets everything. And Here's the here's the thing is that right hermeneutic understands that, that there's different genres and you know there's a it doesn't it's not like the language changes it's not like I mean the, it's not like the 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 idea of language changes I can still use the same rules of interpretation part of those rules is understanding the genre and part of those rules is understanding that symbolism is used I mean we we see that we we've talked about it that you know the description of things that that they saw that they couldn't fully you know describe with human language I'm okay with that I'm okay with that being you know that them using symbolic language and it's and, but when they use symbolic language it's, it's clear to to say as an example because we're talking about the millennial kingdom in this particular in these last episodes you know to say well all of a sudden now that 1000 years is spiritualized and that's problematic because there's no when if I'm using a consistent hermeneutic it would call for me to take that literally and it's really the same as you know, Genesis chapter 1 you know God created the world in 6 days and there's no reason for me to take that as anything else else other than six literal days. There's nothing, hermeneutically, there's nothing that says that's different. I can't say, well, that's poetic. When in reality, actually, I mean, it doesn't have the markers in, in the Hebrew language. It doesn't, it doesn't read like poetry. It isn't grammatically, it, is, it isn't poetry. Grammatically, it, it's narrative. I mean, it, it's telling me an account, and and there's nothing there's nothing in it that says it isn't an actual account. And so that's just one example where you know when it says it's a thousand years, there's nothing there that tells me I should take it as anything other than a one thousand year period that he's speaking of. Amil, you talked about the death name. To me, the one that I have the hardest time understanding is the binding of Satan. That one, to me, I see him binded. <laughs> well, I, I think it's interesting because they would say, well, he's on a chain that he's he's not allowed to deceive the nation. So, you know, so in during the church age, he's been put on this chain, if you will, or this leash, saying it another way. Not not bound as in can't do anything, but that he's been put on a leash and he's under control during this period of, of the church age. But I would say that that's it's been the truth throughout history. He's always been on a leash. Yeah. I mean, he, he's never done anything. I mean, to have a theology that says that somehow that it was different before, that he had freedom before to do what he wanted, to, to deceive the nations and do all this destruction before, but now all of a sudden he's been put on a leash and he doesn't have that because of the, at the cross. But what you have to understand is he's always, he's always been on the leash. 
I mean, he's never. I mean, go read Job. I mean, go read Job. The oldest, the oldest written book in the Bible is basically a story of how God is controlling Satan. I mean, that God is God is over him and over you know hardship and trial and difficulty and suffering. You know that he's a God that's over all that. He controls all those things and he uses them for his glory. To say that now he's on a that after the cross he's on a leash. Well, that's inconsistent because actually. You know, Genesis 3.15 says that, that Christ would crush his head. So if I'm going to make a mistake, then why is Satan even a thing at this point if that's what happened at the cross? I mean, obviously, obviously, I believe he did crush the head of the serpent at the cross. But I, for his purposes, for God's purposes, for his plan, he's allowing Satan to continue to do his what he does. And he's allowing him to do it for his glory, for God's glory and for his purposes. And so, and we, I mean, we need to see it that way. He's not on, a, you know, Peter says he's, he's going around like a roaring lion. I mean, that doesn't sound like he's on a leash to me, you know. Genesis 50, 20, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. You know, God using evil. I mean, that's a, another podcast of, of its own, probably a series of podcasts to talk about, you know, the purpose of evil. But yes, I mean, God uses evil for his glory. And so, so he's using Satan. And I mean, Paul, why did Paul say to the church at Ephesus to put on, put on your armor, take up the armor of God, mm. you know, cause, cause he isn't, I mean, he is still able to do this thing, to assail the church, to deceive and, and do all that he does. Okay. And I should have probably asked you this while we were on the post mill, just to try to condense what these, what both these mean. So post mill, how do they view Satan? Do they also believe that he's bound or chained? Yes, I think they would definitely say that the binding of Satan is spiritualized to mean that Satan is unable to deceive the nations anymore. Therefore, the the nations can be disciple or can be made disciples of Christ. Which is amazing because <laughs> I've heard someone say this, and I use it a lot, that if he is on a chain, it's way too long because I don't see the world getting better. Sure, we see that biblically, and we can see it throughout history. It's it's hard to ignore even the atrocities of the 20th century. Yeah, and and you know ignore what Mao did in China. China, to ignore what Stalin and even prior to that with the in the in Russia, it's hard to ignore Hitler. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably more in in our consciousness in terms of in the, here in the United States. It's hard to ignore those things, the evil that's been done, and and to say, yeah, Satan is no longer. You know, he's bound. He's he's on a leash. You know, like I said, he's he is on a leash. But it, yeah, it's a pretty long one. Yeah, he has his boundary. I mean meaning that God has set the boundary. He's not going to let Satan go any further than he allows or than ordains. Right. But to say that he's bound at this point based on, you know, in terms of what's going on in Revelation 20 and what we see there, I don't think it's the same thing. We're in the Amil part here, and we're talking about the issues that we have with Amil. So we went through the first few, and then the next one that we have is the length of millennium. It does, the Bible talks about in Revelation 20, a thousand years. It just seems to me that Amil plays around with that. Sure. I mean, there's nothing in Scripture that says that I should take that to be anything other than a literal thousand years, but not not just the length of it. It's not just the length of it, although I think that's part of it. But there's nothing that says that I shouldn't take it as a physical reign. 
and I even heard, you know, I, I love Martin Lloyd Jones. I'm a I'm a huge Martin Lloyd Jones fan, but I, I listened to a Martin Lloyd Jones sermon, you know, and he says there's nothing about the thousand years in any other part of scripture. Well, actually there is. I mean, you know, there's large parts of prophetic scripture in in, a, in the Old Testament in Isaiah, Ezekiel that talks about a time, you know, that it's not the new heavens and new earth that's being talked about because it's because there's still sin present and, you know, things aren't perfect like you know like we would understand the new heavens and new earth to be but it's this period of time where there's great prosperity where the lion lays down with the lamb and you know that you know implements of battle being used as, as used the, the metal being used as farm implements i mean but meaning that there's no more war yet it's not perfect i mean it's not this perfect existence that we see in revelation 22 so there is this intermediate period spoken of by the prophets that I don't know what they do with, and that period isn't spoken of by anywhere else in the Bible except for Revelation 20, and that's the, you know, I hear that all the time, you know, when you listen to these guys, you know, that's their favorite, you know, byline, is the only time you ever hear about this thousand-year reign, the only thing that's ever referenced to this millennial kingdom is Revelation 20, you know, it's located in the in Revelation, which is full of symbolism, how can I, under how do I understand this, and it's the only place in the Bible that says it, and I think that's untrue. I think it's I think it's untrue, and yeah. it's clear if you're a student of the Bible that the prophets talk about another period that talk about a period that's not today, that's not what we see today, and it's not the you know the eschaton or the new heavens and the new earth. Everything's not it's not fully consummated, but there's this intermediate period, and I think it fits the millennial kingdom. And you know what? What I think we're getting long, so I think we're going to end this podcast and we're going to pick it up on podcast number fourteen. We'll finish our an eschatology. Is that a Sound good? Sounds good to me. Okay. So stay right where we are. We'll be right back with the next broadcast. You've been listening to Fresh Bread, a podcast of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org. And thanks for listening.